This is your football life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. And welcome to the show. Wherever you're listening, uh, we're just going to spend some time with a very, very unique Australian. The VFL and the AFL is a wonderful Australian game and thousands of men have played the game at this, the highest level. Some play and move on, others have more of an impact. A select few make a lasting impression that will indelibly be recorded in the history of the game forever. Such is the case with my guest today. He played 285 games at the highest level for St Kilda in Melbourne, kicked 199 goals, club best and fairest at two clubs, captain at his initial club, was captain coach at his second club and is a member of the Hall of Fame of the AFL and you can't get any higher accolade than that. He is Carl Dittrich. He joins me from his home on the Murray in Victoria. And Shadow, it's just so such a thrill for me to talk to you today and welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Rex. Oh, look, I can remember the 1963 first round against Melbourne when St Kilda played at the Junction Oval. But would I have come across you before that, Shadow, when you played in the Lightning Premierships for East Brighton when they were conducted at the Junction Oval? Yes, you probably would have. That's a long time ago. Yes, yes. My word it is, but it was also the breeding ground of some of the game's greats. And it's, uh, I'm inspiring young kids throughout Australia that, you know, we're not born famous. It's just that you become famous. It's just a good person who does something above the extraordinary. And your junior days at East Brighton were magnificent. Yes, I was very fortunate. Um, we had a tremendous amount of players down in East Brighton. And, uh, if you go through the list, I think uh, Jeff Moran came out of East Brighton. There's another bloke named Dennis Bartley. Jimmy Rude, who played in the 66 uh, grand final, and myself came out of uh, East Brighton. And uh, we were lucky we had some you know, fantastic coaches like Teddy Woods and Lou Milson. And, uh, and in the end, uh, I was fortunate enough to actually play in that series. And uh, I think I was lucky because uh, we had a coach named Brian Muir and he was an excellent Kilda footballer. He was. And uh, he, uh, well, obviously saw me play, and I could have played in the under-17s that year, and he came around and saw my parents and uh, asked them if it was all right if I went up to the seniors, and uh, mum and dad had no worries about that, and yeah. uh, he set us up to you. And, and so instead of playing the under-17s, I, I took the step, which I think really was, you know, probably the greatest step in my life, really, football was, and played in the seniors, and... Uh, you know, that helped me immensely, I think, later on in my career, gave me the confidence and the skills to go on and uh, achieve what I ended up uh, achieving. Well, I was standing in the outer. I don't know whether I was selling Dixies or eating them or eating the Violet Crumbles, but I can also remember going home on Channel 7 and watching the black and white replay, and they said uh, right from the start that they called you the blonde bombshell, something that I've never been called, Shadow. Well, yes, I was a bit <laughs> lucky that day. I mean... Uh, Really, I think, you know, obviously a lot of nervous energy and tension went into the game, and I was very lucky. I think uh, we were playing Melbourne, and I think Melbourne had been uh, with a reigning premiership uh, team at that particular time, and uh, the Junction Oval, you know, was absolutely crowded, and I think that was one of the things that sort of struck me. The roar was, you know, just unbelievable as he ran out of the race, and uh, I think I was lucky, really. Uh, well, I was tall, pretty athletic, could run a bit, jump like hell, and yeah. uh, 
and we were playing uh, Melbourne, as I said, and John Lord was uh, there, Ruckman and Graham Wise, and I think Graham Wise was like myself, a, a new recruit, and uh, John Laws, John uh, was only about six foot uh, two and a half or something like that, well I was six foot four and a half to jump, he was at the twilight of his career, and I was pretty lucky, so... Uh, I got you know a few touches and and as you know look if you know football really is about 85 90 percent confidence and uh, got those touches and uh, went on and was very lucky that day to uh, you know start my career. Carl Dittrich, my special guest, and this is your football life with the kindest regards of Tobin Brothers who are celebrating lives. We're celebrating the life of a wonderful Australian today in the big shadow, Carl Dittrich. Uh, it wasn't all beer and skittles before you got to St Kilda. You had uh, a mishap. You copped a yoni that we uh, that the kids would know now as a stone in 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 your right eye, and you lost you lost a lot of your eyesight. Tell us about that, Carl. Yes, very unfortunate. Um, I think I was about fourteen at the time, and it was lunchtime, and uh, actually I was walking down, uh, you know, through the yard, and uh, I was having a it was a I think it was a fan around a Boston bun, you know, and. Yeah. Uh, and I was just walking along, and all of a sudden, whop, um, I got hit right in the eye, and it was just, I couldn't see anything out of it. It was just a total white blue. I couldn't see anything out of it, and uh, it smashed all the back of the eye. So, uh, you know, it made it very difficult for a while. And uh, But eventually, you know, I've still got, you know, a reasonable amount of sight in it. And, uh, well, I suppose, you know, it probably didn't help me later on in life. Probably that's the, uh, that's the excuse I used for... I wasn't all good. You know, it wasn't a really terrific mark or consistent mark, so that's the excuse I hang on to. But I can tell you right now that uh, when Harry Beitzel brought out the stats in Footy Week, your stats never ever told the true story because at Richmond, when we were always playing St Kilda and later on Melbourne, we always rated you as someone who protected the little men, and uh, particularly you know against St Kilda blokes like Duperuzel and Stephen Theodore, Ross Smith. These guys benefited from your magnificent frame did you consider yourself an above average big kid as a teenager well i think so yes i I was a late grower really i mean i started football very early i mean well when i say very early if you go back to the days of uh, east brighton and the crawford Oakley district league or football in general there were no underage there wasn't any underage football at all and uh, it was the under 19s reserves and so on and so forth and there were just around East Brighton, there were just, you know, kids everywhere. Yeah. You know, they had nothing to do. And uh, and originally, we, we uh, just went up there and uh, we were next to, in Hurlingham Park, there was the Brighton uh, Soccer Club. And uh, they took us up, you know, and we played soccer and, and all the rest of it. But uh, soccer, obviously, wasn't our game. And uh, one day, well, we used to go at training and uh, watch the, you know, the seniors train and... Uh, out on the soccer over, we'd be there playing kick to kick, a swarm of us mucking around and all the rest of it, having our fun. And uh, a guy hopped out of a little Morris A40 or something like that and came across and said, you blokes, you know, look like you can play a bit of football. Would you like to learn a little bit about like a bit of coaching? So we said, yeah, no yeah. worries and all the rest of it. So wow. he came down every uh, Tuesday, Thursday night off his own volition and we're just, you know, showing some of the finer points of the skills, you know, like the balk and all this sort of thing. And uh, he was tremendous. And then he approached the football club, East Brighton, and he said, look, you've got all these kids here. There's nothing for them, you know, as in competitive sport. And uh, 
he said, look, I'd like to organise something. And he knew a couple of policemen, and uh, they used to run a couple of tri boys. I think Oakley was one of them. Yeah. And they had a lot of junior kids there and all the rest of it. And uh, the upshot of that says, look, if you can give us a couple of footies and, you know, an old set of jumpers and all the rest of it, I'll organise a bit of a competition. Yeah. And so we used to play the tri boys and uh, all this sort of thing. And he started an under-14 team. And that eventually went right around uh, the whole, uh, I suppose, the Southeast Suburban League. So yeah. he started that up. And then from the under-14s, he went to the under-15s. And then obviously, oh, sorry, under-17s, they started that. And that was the whole nucleus. He generated that. Well, he's got a lot to uh, actually stand proud for because, you know, the southeastern which you were involved in, I was involved in the federal. The amount of kids that came out of the federal straight into league football was just quite amazing. Breeny came straight out of uh, Mentone under-17s and played in the 66 Premiership. He hasn't told you about kicking the winning point at all, has he, Barry Breen? Only about 4,000 times. <laughs> Uh, listen, Sh- Sh- we're talking to Carl Dittrich. I call him Shadow because he's a good friend of mine. I had the misfortune to play against him when I was at Richmond and being belted by him, but I also had the uh, fortune to play under him when he was captain of St Kilda from 1976 to 1978. Uh, your second game, you found out what it was all about, a uh, bloke by the name of Nichols. And in those days, uh, Shadow, a lot of people wouldn't realise that the, the whole competition was spread with top ruckmen. John Newman, Graham Farmer, John Schiltz, Neville Crow, uh, Jeff Leake, Don McKenzie. The list goes on and on. Mike but it, Patterson, but yeah. Mike Patterson. But in the second game, you copped on to Big Nick, which was to start a fantastic uh, rivalry between you two blokes. Well, he was just tremendous. You know, he was probably about half an inch shorter than me. I could jump and all the rest of it. But he had the bulk. You know, he had legs as thick as my waist, I suppose. And he had those steely eyes that looked at you and... Uh, that's right in the head. I mean, don't worry about that. Yeah. Um, you got a little bit of a reputation early in, in your career, and I hope I've got this audio right because I had it down a second, uh, Julian, back in the studio, but we'll, we'll play this one with Gerald Ryan interviewing you at 3KZ as a 17-year-old when you uh, actually were interviewed at Brighton High School about being a thug. I don't know whether you can remember this, but the, the interview went something like this. Lately, you've been uh, sort of branded as a bad man. Uh, how, what do you feel about this label? Do you think this, is a, this label fits? I don't know. It's just that I'm, it's my view or my aim to play football. That's the only, that's the only way I can play football. I can't adopt it any other way. I've been playing like that ever since I can remember. I just can't change it overnight. I've just got to keep on playing like that and hope that nothing else or nothing major comes of it. Well, you played for nearly 300 games and nothing changed. And I tell you what, a few of us had a look around the corner. But it was it was a great era of football. I'm sure you'll agree and a lot of your friends will agree. You know, you had a lot of your friends standing out in the outer at Junction Oval and then down at Moorabbin. It was a savage time in the VFL, wasn't it? Well, I think not so much savage. I mean, it was hard and tough. And uh, I suppose, you know, it's a far cry from today, obviously, obviously as you know. But I think the role of the larger men, you know, like the Nichols and, and the Farmers and these sort of players, you know, not only could they play football skillfully, but it was part of their role to protect Shepherd, get in there and help players and, you know, generally stand up for the club and, and, and you know, for the players themselves. 
Where would you like Tobin Brothers Funerals to celebrate your life when the time comes? This is not you, Shadows. You just relax. Oh, not. We're, not, we're not giving you a free free funeral just yet. We want a little bit more of the story. It can be at a church or a chapel, but it can also be at places like less conventional venues, such as golf clubs, footy ovals, restaurants, theatre, or even 35,000 feet above Port Phillip Bay. Hey, watch the fish. The sky's the limit for Tobin Brothers to celebrate your loved one's life. If it's legal, the Tobins will make it happen. Tobin Brothers Funerals are celebrating lives, and we're celebrating the life of the great Carl Dittrich. And I say that because you've taken your rightful spot in the Hall of Fame. And uh, out of the break, we're going to actually get to when the, the, the side moved to Moorabbin. But I'll just let you give us a little bit of a, a tickler there, Carl, that it was probably the greatest decision in the history of the St Kilda Football Club to move from the Junction Oval down to Linton Street, Moorabbin. Well, I think it was. You know, most of the, you know, the sides were all located in the inner, inner city suburban area, as you know, with the exception of Geelong. And uh, the thinking at the time was that, uh, you know, they shared the uh, ground with uh, the cricket club. And I think the cricket club really had the whip hand over the football club at that stage financially, so on and so forth. And uh, Ian Drake and uh, Graham Huggins, the president, in their wisdom, decided that, you know, they'd make the move and they... Uh, Got an offer from uh, I think oh, I think I can't think of his name now, but the mayor of Moorabbin, and uh, and so they decided to bring football down in to the southern area, and the motivation was you know quite simple, and it was fantastic that you know the outer areas were growing, and particularly along the peninsula right down to Frankston and beyond, and uh, at that stage every league club had a zone. Melbourne was zoned in you know the twelve clubs had their particular zone. And I think uh, St Kilda had that area along the bay past uh, uh, almost down to Mordialic. Yeah. And, uh, and they wanted, if they went down there, their belief was that they would uh, get that peninsula area right down past Moorabbin. Unfortunately, in the uh, league's stupidity, I suppose, they never received that area. They got down as far as, I think, the Seaford or... I think Morty Alley. I think Gary Colling think... Gary Colling came from Frankston. The cat came from down there with a couple of other blokes, so they missed out on that vital area in between. Yeah, and uh, Hawthorne picked it up, and you got yeah. the likes of Crimmins oh. and so on and so forth. Yeah. And and you know how well they played, and and that gave them a, a fantastic base to go on and win quite a few uh, premierships in that area. And some people were very yeah. disappointed, but yeah. you know that was you know the thinking to get down there, get new areas, you know, and uh, open up football down that area. The great Carl Dittridge is my guest in This Is Your Football Life today, folks. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am interviewing with the great man. Why don't you check us out on Twitter at Rex Football Life. And it's all for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Football Life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Dream rises to the top. He is an absolute legend of the game. You're listening to This Is Your Football Life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. And the great Carl Dittrich, the shadow, has joined us today right across the nation. We've started off at St Kilda. We started off at school where he copped a Yoni in the eye and lost a lot of his sight in his right eye. We travel down to Moorabbin and uh, we get to a stage where they play in the 1966 uh, Premiership uh, down at Moorabbin. But Shadow, unfortunately, it wasn't to be. You didn't make an appearance. No, no, I was suspended. I think I got about five games. I ran through Daryl Peebles and uh, caught the wrath of the uh, 
tribunal, unfortunately, most unfortunately. They reckon you had your own seat there with your name on it at one stage. Well, I did have quite a few appearances there, <laughs> but uh, I try to repress that. <laughs> well, you can't change it. There's no doubt about that. Uh, a unique rule that saw a, a few players change club was the 10-year rule. I think North Melbourne decided to get brassy, but they also got uh, Barry Davis, they got John Rantel and Doug Wade and a few others, and you were uh, actually targeted to go to North Melbourne, but it didn't uh, come about. You went to Melbourne. Can you tell our listeners about that? Yes, it was one of those... Uh, it was a funny situation. I mean, uh, I uh, I really didn't want to leave, to be honest, and uh, I and the... Ma- well, not the match committee. The committee came, uh, pulled me in, and... Uh, they were all around the table, and, and Gene, she looked at me and he said, well, well, laddie, uh, if you decide to stay with us, you know, I'll uh, consider making you captain. Well, you know, I thought that was a bit uh, ordinary, but... Uh, I why, did, thought... why did you think that was ordinary? Why it was just a, a bit of a lure to keep you there and just sweeten you up a bit? Well, I think they realised, my heart and soul was, you know, for St Kilda, you know, basically I'd do anything, and... Uh, used to pray at night, you know, Friday night that we'd win and if I had to get injured and all the rest of it, you know, so be it. But as long as we won. And I think, uh, well, I'm certain that they knew that, you know, I would do anything for football. I mean, you play with a lot of injuries and I think, you know, in quite a few, you know, times, you know, more than I like to, you know, think about that you went out there, you weren't anywhere near fit, but you put your body on the line, you know, just to help the players, the team. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I would have thought that, you know, I could have said, yeah, look, we'll make you captain and uh, so on and so forth and uh, give you a few extra dollars, give you $50 a game or whatever, and I would have been a happy as hell. The people uh, listening, a lot of the people listening couldn't comprehend that there were playing coaches back then. You know, I can remember Ron Barassi at Carlton, John Nichols at Carlton, Malcolm Blight at North Melbourne a little bit later on after that 10-year rule, uh, Bobby Skilton at South Melbourne, but you were captain coach of Melbourne. And uh, quite a young man uh, taking on that particular mantle. Yes, I'd, uh, I thought about it. And, uh, well, I thought I was getting to the twilight of my career and all the rest of it. And uh, it was a challenge. And I thought, well, if I can, uh, well, you, you know, if you don't put your you know, toe in the you know, pool, well, you'll never find out. So uh, I decided I'd accept the job. And uh, I went to Melbourne and uh, had a quite a few, you know, in, enjoyable years. You know, it was tremendous, you know, bringing on young players, helping them develop and, uh, you know, trying to keep the club going and, and get them, you know, lower down the bottom. And I think we raised them, you know, quite a few uh, degrees. And uh, it, it was enjoyable. It really was. It was a, it was a whole different, uh, you know, career, a whole different uh, idea. And, uh, and I just sort of thought, well, you've got to give it a go. And I was lucky enough to get a hold of a bloke uh, I used to teach with, uh, David Barclay. And, uh, and he... And, you know, with his help and his guidance, we sort of revolutionised, I think, football to a degree. We put the decision-making to a you know, large extent back into players and players' groups. And we, we tried to, you know, we did communication exercises. We gave people responsibilities. Uh, players and groups and their representatives would come to us and we would look, you know, we put the ball back in their court. You know, we said rather than being, you know, directing them and telling them what to do, we gave them, you know, a voice, a choice in how the team would be set up and and, the, and certain plays and uh, and those sort of things that uh, we thought was, you know, going to benefit the club. And, and the reasoning behind it was rather than being told, if these 
players, you know, because there's quite a lot of intelligent people there, and really they had the same concern. They wanted to be successful, get the club going. Yeah. And uh, and the rule of thumb then was basically, if they made the decisions and we agreed with it, then you know their decision, they would have to you know really live up to it and fight hard and strive to achieve what they, you know, their input into the game, and and we gave them license for that. And obviously, you know, I think in a lot of a lot of occasion, it, it was quite successful, very successful. We're talking to Carl Dittrich, celebrating this is your football life for Tobin Brothers. And uh, check out this, folks. This is Jack Edwards of Channel 7 with the mighty Lou Richards and Peter Landy just describing why people in the 70s went to the football. Towards Ian Dyer, he can't pick it up. It's picked up here by Billy. Billing to... Oh, Dittrich, left on just for Billy Ever. Morris couldn't take the mark. Dittrich tries the hand pass. Moyer there. Morris and Dittrich wrestling. Dittrich pulls Morris's hair. It's on now. Well, they talk about the commentary way back then. I tell you what, I can tell you it was just absolutely fantastic. Our time's running out together, Shadow, so I want to get to the fact that you actually ended up back at St Kilda and you just reiterated what you said a few minutes ago. Your heart was really at St Kilda and you joined uh, Alan Jeans back at St Kilda, but it wasn't a settled era, era back then at Moorabbin because I think we had three coaches in three years and it was a big change came across the top of the club, particularly when Yabby Jeans gave it away. Yes, it was. I think um, after Yabby decided to retire, I think Smithy took over, and uh, and he was very good. He was, you know, he put science back into the game, and particularly uh, fitness-wise. I think the only criticism I had of Yabby was that training never varied. We did uh, the same routine, as you would know, yep. every year, particularly pre-season, uh, ending up with a big run down to the beach down South Road, right down to Black Rock back and so on and so forth. And I think one of the biggest problems was that uh, really Yabby was too staid in that and uh, other clubs were getting fitness advisors out of university, people that really knew about cardiovascular and, uh, you know, the benefits of, you know, more intensified training, more running, getting the players fitter and fitter. And I think we lagged behind in that. I think uh, Richmond were very good at it and, and so were um, Essendon and these yep. clubs. And, yeah, and that was the only really you know, thing that worried me about it, that uh, we just didn't seem to have that amount of fitness that the other sides had. Attending a funeral, any one of Tobin Brothers' 21 chapels is now just a phone call away. Those unable to be at a funeral in person for reasons of illness, cost or tyranny of distance can still be there in voice by recording a telephone tribute the day before the service. For more information, go to the tobinbrothers.com.au or call 93 737000. Well, Carl Dittrich has been our wonderful guest right throughout Australia today and it's been a great thrill for me. Uh, what do you do these days and, and how are you travelling health-wise, Carl? Oh, look, I've retired. I've uh, just taken it easy, just read books and do a little bit of gardening. But uh, yeah, a fair amount of arthritis. I've got uh, I've had a shoulder reconstructed or scraped out and all the rest of it. That was totally hopeless. Otherwise, uh, I've just got a knee that's really wonky and... Uh, I had quite a few operations, you know, over the years in football, and I'm very loath to go back in and uh, have the uh, knee reconstructed or yeah. artificial knee put in. So I'll keep dragging along and uh, hoping that I can uh, get through life without having to go through another painful operation. 
Well, you'll know that uh, Lynn and I are very, very close to Ian and Susie Stewart. And Ian Stewart still talks about the day in 1963 when the blonde bombshell uh, descended over the top of uh, the Junction Oval. We've just celebrated a wonderful, wonderful time of VFL-AFL football with the inclusion of yourself. And we really, really appreciate your time today. And it's good to hear you sounding so well. And thanks for your time. Not a worry, Rex. And keep on keeping on. This is fantastic. The great Carl Dittrich, I mean that. Yeah, he was a dear friend of Lynn and I's uh, when we were at St Kilda, and it's great to catch up with him. And if you'd like to hear the extended version of this interview, check out facebook.com forward slash Tobin Brothers Funerals or follow us on Twitter at Rex Football Life. Join us next week as we delve into the history of the AFL again and bring up another great character like Carl Dittrich today. You're listening to This Is Your Football Life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives.